Well, uh, I'm here today to finish up or to finish up a parable. We're still in the middle of our parable series on on prayer, and I brought my punching balloon because uh, next week by this time we'll be watching the Olympics, and I love the Olympics. But one of the things I love about the Olympics is boxing, and I actually wanted to have a punching bag up here, but. You know those old-fashioned clowns that you would punch in the nose and they lay down and they come back up? I guess it's too violent to make those anymore and I couldn't find a single one. So if you have one, I'd really like to know uh, where it is because uh, in, we're going to learn today is prayer is a lot like boxing. And you'll find that out along the way. Uh, how many of you struggle with prayer? Don't raise your hand, but it's my hardest thing. You know, the, the Christian life has, has a lot of parts to it. Uh, I have to read the Bible, and I love to study the Bible because I have to get up and teach it. And I have to hang out with Christians. In fact, I spent all last week in California speaking at a family camp. We were supposed to get in Friday at 9.30. We got in at 2 in the morning on Saturday, so I'm a little bit weary. And in California, it's about time to start church for 11 o'clock, so I'm pretty good, actually. Uh, But the thing I cheat on is prayer. And it's an amazing thing because... Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that God answers prayer? How many of you have actually had God answer a prayer? Well, you see, me too. I believe God answers prayer, and I have had God answer many prayers, so why don't I pray? In in fact, sometimes instead of it being one of the first things I do, it's one of the last things I do, and it really is hard when I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I'm not getting the answer I want. You know, it's great if God answers yes. In fact, if you're here today and you're a new Christian, uh, let me just encourage you that most of your prayers are going to be answered yes. You can tell new Christians they walk around with a big smile on their face. And I'd like to just smack that smile right off their face sometimes. You cannot possibly be that happy. Uh, But you know you're really growing in your faith if you come to a point where God is saying no. And how many have ever had a prayer answered no? And I'm so thankful for that because, actually, I would have had four or five wives, and I didn't need that. Uh, But I have the perfect wife, and she's not even here, so I can tell you how great she is. But the real problem for me is when I don't get a yes and I don't get a no, but I get kind of a wait answer. Have you ever had that answer to wait? One of my son Johnny's favorite songs that he writes is Waiting Room. Hearing Hearing this waiting room, yearning for you to say go, and though I confess that a yes would be best this time you're telling me no. It's not that I don't have an answer, it's just not the one that I'd like. And see, that's me, I don't like wait. And so I tend to quit praying, and we particularly quit praying when times get tough. You know, we had this awful tragedy in Colorado over the weekend. And you begin to say, why bother? If God is really loving and he does answer prayer, why would something like that happen? Or you have something going on in your own life, maybe there's a health issue. Uh, that you struggle with, and you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't seem to get an answer. Or maybe you're dealing with an unfair situation with regard to a boss or an employee. Or maybe there's a teacher that drives you nuts, and you kids are great to be out of school all summer, yay, but you're going back and you might have a teacher that doesn't grade you fairly. You ever have that happen? Or maybe you have a coach that isn't fair with you and you ought to get to play more and you really aren't getting to play as much as you think you ought to get get to play. And so those things... Wear you out. And Jesus is telling his disciples a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And so we know from the beginning the point of the parable. That's very helpful. They're to pray when? At all times. We, we need to pray at all times because sometimes we get frustrated with God's timing. God, I want it and I want it now. 
And it doesn't happen now, and so I lose heart because I'm frustrated with God's methodology. God doesn't give it to me in exactly the way I would, I would like. You know, my wife and I struggle with a situation with one of our grandchildren who's been in a real bad place for a couple of years. And we have prayed and we have prayed and we have prayed, and sometimes I just I feel like I've beaten my hands against the doors of heaven until my knuckles are bleeding and, and raw. And I'm not getting an answer. I'm just getting a wait. And boy, I don't like waiting. I'm not, I'm not good at that. And so Jesus understands that, and he tells a parable. A parable, again, is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, so that we ought to pray and not lose heart. And he says there was a, a, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal pro- protection from my opponent. Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And so that is the parable that Jesus shares about praying and not losing Heart. Again, we want to pray at all times because we get frustrated with God's timing. We want to pray and not lose heart because we get frustrated with God's way. And sometimes uh, we treat God as, as, as kind of this judge. Uh, and it's, under, it's good to understand that this is a judge who was secular. He didn't fear God. And he's selfish. He doesn't respect man. He's just in it for himself. He's really not in it for the law. You know, there's a lot going on in our country with regard to justice right now. And we need people in the law who are just and godly people. And we need God to give wisdom to our judges. We're told to pray for our leaders, but I think we need to pray for our judges. Well, in their culture, uh, 2,000 years ago, a judge was a little different than he is now. Let me give you a picture painted by a guy named Tristram. H.B. Tristram was a, was a, a, a historical geographer. He was traveling through the Middle East years ago when he came across a similar scene to our parable. He writes about a Mesopotamian court. He says, on a slightly raised platform, at the end sat a cadi, or a judge, half buried in cushions, and around him squatted various secretaries and other notables. The population crowded into the rest of the hall, a dozen voices clamoring all at once, each claiming that his case should be the first to be heard. The more prudent litigants joined not in that fray, but held whispered communications with secretaries passing bribes. Euphemistically, they were called fees, but as they went into the hands of one another, to the degree that these underlings were satisfied, one of them would whisper to the cadi, the judge, who would promptly call such and such a case. It seemed to be ordinarily taken for granted that a judgment would go to the litigant who had bribed the judge with the highest amount. In the meantime, a poor woman on the skirts of the crowd perpetually interrupted the proceedings with loud cries for justice. But the author says she was thoroughly bidden to keep silent, reproachfully told that she came every day, to which she replied, and so I will, until the judge hears me. Jesus tells us a parable that we should pray and not lose heart. The word lose heart is to get weary, to get tired, to get in despair. When I have something on my heart, a person who is close to me that's suffering, whether it be my grandchild or a person with an illness or a situation uh, where a couple comes for for ministry and I'm not able to help, 
I get down, I get weary, I get heavy. And so I need to learn not to quit, quit praying. And so we're to learn from this. We have the judge, who is a secular, selfish man, and then we have the widow. The widow in that city is, 2,000 years ago, in all likelihood, the most disenfranchised of people. Widows were made to wear black. They were not permitted to wear makeup at all, and they were uh, really had no means of support. You remember maybe Jesus when he healed the son who had died of the widow of Nain. That was her means of support. In their culture, there was no social security. There were no benefits for those who were disenfranchised. And so this is a woman who keeps coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. Now, it's interesting, she doesn't come to three judges. She just comes to one. And in Jesus' day, there were three judge panels that were designed uh, to handle real estate transactions and business deals that were gone awry. But it was the magistrate, the single person that was charged with the task of producing justice for individuals. And it's interesting, when she comes to the judge again and again, she doesn't say, give me victory. She simply says, give me protection from my opponent. She has very little else to do, but she comes and she comes and she comes and she comes. And for a while, he was unwilling. And afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I love the New Living Translation here, it's because she's driving me nuts. Sounds like one of my grandchildren. Because she's driving me nuts, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. Say, wear me out. Now, this week in the Olympics, one of my favorite sports in the Olympics is boxing. And again, I really wanted to find a small punching bag because that's the word for wear me out. It's the Greek word that they used in the Olympics for to punch with a jab. You know, if you're a boxer, the punch you, th you throw most often is the jab. Bop, 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 bop. But the punch you're hoping to throw is the left or the right cross or the hook. That's your knockout blow, but you set up with the jab and then come across with the hook. And I love boxing. I just have always been sinful and liked it. I remember my favorite Olympic boxing matches. I remember Cassius Clay. I remember George Foreman carrying the little flag around. I remember uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. And, and my favorite was Leon Spinks. Leon uh, was really a rough guy, and he was getting hammered by the judge. He was always not allowed to hit his opponent. And at one point, uh, his opponent nicked him on the chin, and, and the judge gave him a standing eight count. In the Olympics, they stand you in the corner, and they go one, two, three. And, and Leon was hacked. And at the end of the eight count... He took his right and he just ran across the ring and bopped the guy in the, in the temple and knocked him out cold. It was great. We won the gold. Now, she's coming, not with a right cross, but with a left jab. And every day she comes and she says, give me protection from my opponent. Give me protection the next day from my opponent. Give me protection from my opponent. And, and the judge is getting sick of this. It's kind of like this little old lady walks up to him and just every day goes, bop, right under the eye. You know, what, you, know what, you know what a mouse is? A mouse is what you get under your eye when you get hit in your eye. It won't knock you out, but it's annoying. And if you get hit there often enough, your eye swells shut. Now, the interesting thing in the parable is when Jesus teaches us about prayer, we do certainly see the importance of persistence. 
But it's not as though we need to knock God in the eye once a day. Because God delights in answering our prayers. So actually in the parable, Jesus teaches us lessons from the judge. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night and not give up? See, that's the key. And, he will, and will he delay long over them? The answer is, is no. He will not delay if you keep coming. You know, we cry to God day and night. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, there's a real short verse. Young people, if you want to learn a whole Bible verse today, here it is. Pray without ceasing. Say that. Pray without ceasing. You know what ceasing is? Ceasing is a hacking cough. Uh, I've got grandkids and one of them is, is the human bowling ball. His name is Jake. And I, I got to spend a week with Jake uh, earlier in the summer, and he was getting a tooth. When Jake gets a tooth, he gets the croup. Do you know what the croup is? It's a hacking cough. And you're, you're asleep at night, and you hear this, <coughs> and then you wait another 20 minutes, and he sleeps, <coughs> and little Jake goes on like that all night long. And that ought to be our prayer life. There are two ways to pray. One is like a hacking cough, and the other is when we set aside a, a long time to pray. So when we see something happen like did in Colorado, we ought, to, we ought to pray for those people immediately. When we see an accident on the highway, we ought to stop and pray for those people immediately. When we hear of, of a need, we ought to stop and pray immediately. That's the kind of prayer life that, that we should have. But the other part of our prayer life is to set aside a time when we can really pour out our hearts before God. But this little widow is like a hacking cough. And, the, and the, pas the passage says, the Lord says, hear what this unrighteous judge said. Now, shall the Lord not bring about justice for his elect? We are the elect. And I'm not going into a big thing on the doctrine of election, but it means we are the chosen. If you love Jesus, God chose to make you his child. I didn't understand this until Zach and Heather adopted their youngest. Those of you who know my son know their youngest child is Emmett. And Emmett is a special needs baby. And we love him. But, you know, we, love him before, we loved him before we ever met him. They elected to make him a part of their family. And as his grandpa, I chose before I ever met him to love him, and that's how God is with us. We come into this world at enmity. We're enemies of God. But when we come to faith in Christ, we are chosen to be a part of his family, his forever family. And whenever I see Emmett, my heart just melts. And he has all the same rights as all my other grandchildren. They can come up and ask me for money, and so can he. They can get candy kind of whenever they want. Emmett knows he can crawl up on, him, on, on Pap's lap and pretty much get whatever he wants. And that's the attitude God wants us to have because we're his elect, and he will not delay over us. And then the passage finishes up. Uh, this is the passage I want to share with you out of 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter to, to people who are praying, and they're not getting an answer. They're praying, oh God, we are suffering. We're suffering for our faith. We've lost our jobs. Some of us are martyred to, to the point of death. We don't know why God won't make the pain stop. You ever ask that question? It's a good question. You know, I know why there is pain and suffering in the world. It's because we live in a fallen place. This is not a perfect place. And because we live in a world that is dominated by sinfulness, and because we ourselves are sinful, pain happens. Disease happens. Frustration happens. And so I say, God, why don't you get rid of that? And God says, I'm going to. 
but not on your schedule, on mine. In 2 Peter, the apostle says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. I want God to answer my problem now. I want to get rid of all the pain in the world now. I would like God to answer all the prayers, yes, but God doesn't do that. Because God has a bigger plan. He's not limited by my timetable. You know, somebody did the math on this, and I'm not a literalist on this passage. But you know, if one day is a thousand years, you know how long one second is? Three and a half days. So if you pray and you say, God, I want this now, and God says, wait a second. (laughs) On this time scale, one minute is eight hours. God says, wait a minute, you're in trouble. One hour is 41 and a half years. Here's why. The Lord is not slow about his promise to get away with all, to get rid of all the pain and suffering as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, the you as the believers, not wishing for any out there to perish, but for all to come what? To repentance. I want God to get rid of all of the suffering in the world, but God is saying, hey, I'm waiting as long as possible so that as many as possible can come to Jesus. It's interesting, right before this parable in Luke 18, Jesus talks about his second coming in depth in Luke 17. And in the first Peter 3 and 2 Peter 3 passage, right before this passage, Peter says it's going to be like the time of Noah. When Noah was building the ark and everybody was going on about their business, and instantly when the flood came, God sent judgment. God is going to judge the evil. God is going to destroy those who cause pain and suffering to others. But in the meantime, God is waiting for people to come to faith. I shared this last week at the conference with the folks that were there about uh, my grandchild who's been in a, in a suffering situation for two years now. And we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing seems to happen and maybe the door cracks and then it doesn't. It gets slammed on our noses over and again. One of the families came up afterward and said, you know, we're going through some real, real tough stuff at work. He's been lied to. He's been cheated. He's lost six figures in, in income in a business that he owned. I said, but that's nothing compared to what your grandchild is going through. So maybe there's some times when we can encourage each other by knowing that everybody goes through hard times. And everybody will go through hard times until Jesus comes again. In fact, you know when you should stop praying about something? When Jesus comes back. If you've got a situation of injustice in your life, God will deal with it in his time. Now, when he deals with it, I love this verse. He says, I tell you, end of the parable, that he will bring about justice for them speedily. The word speedily is the word for your tachometer. I'm old enough to remember muscle cars. You ever been in a muscle car? Those of you that are in the front row, man, the muscle cars were unbelievable. You could put eight people in the back seat. My best friend in high school had a 409 Chevy, yellow with black interior, convertible. I mean, it would stand up and dance. And my favorite instrument in the convertible was the tachometer because you'd pump down on that gas pedal and the tachometer would go... And that word quickly is the word tachy, tachometer. It's the same word Jesus uses in Revelation chapter 22 when he says, Behold, I come quickly. 
Now in the Peter passage, they're saying, where is Jesus? Where is the promise of his coming? I don't know when he's coming, but I know that he's coming. And I know when he comes, these events will transpire quickly and God will take care of justice. And I know that when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. So it's a wonderful parable with all sorts of principles. And again, the principle is not to paint God as an unjust judge, rather to say if the unjust judge can be moved by the woman who continues to bop him in the eye, so much more can our Heavenly Father will be moved by those of us who pray in faith because God delights in granting the prayers of his chosen. Now there are some applications I want to close with. The first is this. You and I can trust God to be a just God. And again, whether it's something going on at school or in your family or maybe in your church, maybe there's a person in your neighborhood that is driving you nuts. One of my best friends is a guy that came to Christ in Lakeland a few years ago, and he was not a good man when he was not a believer. He, he'd left his wife. He'd left his kids. He treated them poorly. He was married and had many other relationships with women around town. He, he did not have a good reputation. And, and when he came to faith in Christ, the first thing I asked him was, Hey, who's been praying for you? We need to tell them. He said, I know just who to tell. In his office, there were about a dozen people that worked there, but one little gal who was in her 20s had prayed for him every day for five years to come to Jesus. He went in on Monday after he came to faith, and he brought her in and sat her down. What he didn't know was over the weekend, it had just gotten too much for her. And She sat down with her husband, and she decided to quit that job. It was a hard place to work. And he sat her down. He said, you know, uh, you are a Christian, aren't you? She said, yes. He said, so you've asked Jesus into your heart? She said, yes. He said, and you've been praying that I would do that, haven't you? She said, yes. He said, well, I did that last week. She's still working there. God had entrusted that whole business to her. <laughs> and maybe you're in a workplace situation that is totally unjust. And you've got a boss that is just a pain in the neck and other places. But you can trust God to be a just God. One of my favorite boxing stories, speaking of boxing, goes back to the 70s. There was a great heavyweight championship bout that was on free TV. Who knew? It was in Knoxville, Tennessee, the home of uh, one of the participants. His name was Big John Tate. And as the camera panned in, the 20,000 people in Knoxville were chanting, Big John Tate! Big John Tate! And so right away I decided I would root for the opponent, Mike Weaver. I like the underdog. And the bell rang, bing, for round one, and Mike Weaver came out, and it seemed to me he was leading with his chin. And John Tate, left jab, left jab, left jab, left jab, and John Tate won the first round, the second round, the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round, the sixth round, the seventh round. He knocked Mike Weaver down on the canvas. If I'd have been there in Mike Weaver's corner, I'd have been screaming, Stay down! Whatever you do, stay down! If you get up, he's just going to hit you again. Let's get paid and fight another time. But Mike Weaver got up. 
and he lost the seventh round in the eighth and the ninth and the tenth and the eleventh and the twelfth. Back in those days, they boxed 15 rounds. He was behind on every judge's card. He had lost every round with 20 seconds to go in the 15th round. Mike Weaver loaded up his right cross, and he landed it on the temple of Big John Tate, and it knocked him out cold before he hit the canvas. And with eight seconds to go in the fight, the referee held up the gloved hand of Mike Weaver and declared him the winner and new champion of the world. I told you that so I could tell you this. I saw the same fight a week later on a show that is no longer. It's called ABC Wide World of Sports. Remember that show? And there on the black and white TV were 20,000 fans in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you know what they were chanting? Big John Tate! I just smiled, and the bell rang for round one, because we didn't have 100 channels. We had three, and I wanted to watch the fight again. And he lost the first, and the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and in the seventh round, Mike Weaver got knocked to the canvas, and if I had been in his corner, do you know what I'd have yelled at him? Get up! Whatever you do, get up! Why? I had seen the 15th round. I knew the end of the story, and it made all the difference in my life and my outlook. And I shared all of that so I can tell you this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God has seen the 15th round for you and me, and he's shown it to us, and he's holding our hand up at the end, and he says, you are the winner because I am a just God. You can trust God to be a just God. Second, you can trust God because he has chosen you. You are elect. You are special. God, before the foundation of the world, knew that you would love him. He didn't make you love him. I believe you have freedom of choice, and we'll sort all that out in heaven. But I believe that because you exercise your free choice and you accepted what Christ has done as your sacrifice on the cross, God says, hey, you are one of mine. You are a part of my forever family, and I rejoice to answer your prayers in the way that it is best for you. They're not always yes. They're not always no. They're not always wait, but they're always best. Third, you can trust God when you pray without ceasing. Do you do that? Or are you like me? I get tired of praying. You know, my wife is much better at this. She has lists that she prays for. Women are usually better at having a prayer journal. I'm better at having a list. Put it on your phone. Put it somewhere on the dashboard of your car. Stick it on your refrigerator. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Whatever it is you need to pray about on a regular basis, get after it. Use your left prayer jab. Fourth. You can trust God to answer quickly once he acts. I don't know how this works. I just know that it works. When God says yes, usually he says yes to more than one thing. There have been times when I have had six or seven answers to prayer in one day. I've actually called friends up and said, do you need anything to be prayed for today because I'm on a roll? Man, when you get on one of those rolls, call me. I need you. When it happens, it's going to happen quick because in the end when Jesus shows up, it's all going to break very suddenly. The end will come quickly. You can trust God. So as Jesus says, pray 
and don't lose heart. And I'd like to finish our time today by praying. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, is there something that's been on your heart for days and weeks and months and maybe years? Not something that's selfish, but something that really concerns you, an injustice, a question that you've got, a need that someone really has or you really have. Father, we trust you to be a just God. We trust you to hear our prayers because we are your chosen children. We trust you because we'd like to learn to pray without ceasing like that baby with a hacking cough. We trust you, Father, to answer quickly once you start. And Father, I know there are needs in this room. We need you to answer us. We need you to answer quickly. We need you to bring about events to change lives and change health and change circumstances in ways that we cannot. And so, Father, we would lay them at your feet. We ask that you would teach us to be people who pray and do not lose heart.